Welcome to the Journeys of Scientists podcast. This is a podcast put out by WAMPS, which stands for Women and Minorities in the Physical Sciences. We are a graduate student organization at Michigan State University. I am Brian Stanley. I am a graduate student in the physics department at MSU. The purpose of this podcast is to talk with other graduate students at MSU and other universities to get a sense of the type of research they do, but also learn about life as a graduate student, both within and outside the classroom or research lab. If you or someone else you know are interested in participating in the Journeys of Scientists podcast, you can email me at the email below in the show notes, or you can visit the WAMPS website, which is WAMPS.org, and you can send us a message there. On this episode, we are joined by Amanda Whitwer, a first-year PhD student in the School of Criminal Justice at MSU. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, Amanda. Could you briefly introduce yourself? What is the type of work that you do or you study? Sure. Uh, so I'm Amanda Whitwer. I am a first year student in the uh, PhD program in the School of Criminal Justice here at MSU. Um, I am working on a couple of different research projects. Um, haven't started my own research yet, but I'm supporting some faculty. So uh, I'm working uh, with Dr. Ipozioli on a project that's funded by the Joyce Foundation, um, where we're looking at um, we're looking at gun restrictions that get attached to domestic violence restraining orders um, and the ways that they differ state by state. So we're comparing uh, Michigan and Wisconsin, and uh, really focusing on the implementation of gun restrictions rather than just uh, you know the laws in place. So we assume that it's working. Um, so really kind of drilling down to see, okay, well, a gun restriction might be in place, but, you know, did the local sheriff's office go and remove uh, someone's guns? You know, did they check to make sure that that person wasn't able to get guns, you know, through an underground market or something? Um, so really excited about that project. My background is really in applied researcher in, in applied research. And so I am, uh, I'm, I'm really interested in, in policy related questions. Um hmm. And then beyond that, uh, I'm also providing some support for uh, kind of on the back end for a project um, through which one of our faculty members uh, did a survey of um, judges and court workers in the state of Michigan, uh, looking at how they were kind of viewing themselves and and their job uh, in the midst of the uh, pandemic, of course. (laughs) So this was done, I think, in July of 2020, it would have been. Um, And so helping to kind of um, knit that up on the back end and, and write up some uh, articles, journal articles um, on that. So uh, definitely keeping busy, um, but haven't yet started my own research. Uh, it's uh, off in the horizon. Yeah. Okay. So you said you're a first year, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Very nice. Um, so this is kind of like a broad question because I've known like other, this is going to be very basic, but like I know other people who have done like criminal justice majors or like criminology and stuff. I just like kind of want to like clarify on like what it is and isn't like, it's not necessarily like you're not involved in like law enforcement, but it's more like the study of like crime. It's actual like study of crime and, you know, kind of law enforcement, like methods and stuff. Right. But you're not necessarily like a part of these like conglomerations or whatever. Right. 
Yeah, no, I, I love this question. This is um why this is actually why I hate explaining what I do to my family. <laughs> because when you say that you're going to school for criminology, that that does tend to be kind of the thought process of, oh, well, you, you know, you must be going into law enforcement or maybe you're doing investigations and um mm-hmm. it's a little bit different. Um so uh, <laughs> There, there are kind of like two branches of this field, but I think kind of the unifying factor is the idea that, um, you know, a, a, a graduate degree in criminal justice or criminology is typically used to go and do research in some context. You could become a faculty member um, and, you know, uh, train the next generation of researchers, um, as many people do. Uh, and that tends to be kind of the criminology traditional track. Um, you could also, uh, and, and this is more of where I'm looking, um, go out and work um, in a bunch of different settings. There are companies out there, um, nonprofit, for-profit, uh, that do research or provide technical assistance. Um, and so those are groups like um, the company I used to work for, RTI International. There's the you know Center for Effective Public Policy. There's the Center for Court Innovation in New York, uh, there are a bunch of groups out there that are involved in some way in research. And that research is funded sometimes by foundations. It's funded by uh, state governments on occasion, although they're pretty cash-strapped. <laughs> um, it's it's primarily funded by the federal government. They put quite a lot of money towards uh, research, uh, you know, looking at various things, um, oftentimes with a, you know, focus on what are the policy implications of this? You know, if we do this study, will we know does this program work? Is this intervention effective? Those kinds of questions. Um, but there are also folks who will go back and, and get a graduate degree um, from, let's say, an institution like the John Jay School of Criminal Justice in New York that is much more practitioner focused. And so those folks are, uh, you know, looking to go into high levels of law enforcement. Maybe they want to have a specialized skill set. Maybe they want to do research, but they want to do it within that, uh, you know, law enforcement agency. You know, so they want to be uh, a crime analyst researcher in a large police department. You can also go and do that with this kind of a degree. So it's there's there's a lot of mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> there's a lot you can do with it, and I think a lot of it depends on um, where you set your sights and, and not necessarily what the program curriculum is. Okay. What if that's I, helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what kind of got you interested in like this, this area of study? Yeah. Um, I grew up in a really small town in New Jersey. Um, and I didn't realize until I had gotten through my first year of college and had come back home for the summer that, uh, I lived a couple miles away from the state women's facility, the state women's prison, uh, in New Jersey, um, I had a close friend and neighbor who had spent some time volunteering there um, many years before, and she recommended that I try volunteering. Um, so I became a, a GED tutor uh, at that facility for a couple of months that summer and um, really changed my perspective. Um, so when I got back to school, I decided, you know, I, I want to do something that is sort of uh, public service oriented. Um, so I, I ended up studying public policy at the undergraduate level, but I, I wanted to, you know, look at criminal legal research and policy. So kind of that nexus between uh, research, but research that is aimed towards informing what people do on the ground, what uh, correctional officers, what police officers, uh, what court workers and judges and prosecutors do every day in the criminal legal system. Uh, so that's kind of how I uh, arrived here. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's really interesting. I'm kind of curious, um, like, 
I I'm kind of curious on like your experience with volunteering, doing like the GED, like tutoring stuff. Cause like, that's something like I've heard of that. I've known people who like, at least in physics have taught like, Oh, the physics, you know, level courses at like some of these institutions at first they're like, Oh, people's first thought was like, Oh, well, why would you do that? That sounds scary. Whatever. But there's like all the people I've known have done it. They're like, Oh no, it's really great. They've actually been like some of their like best students because, you know, they're like really focused and determined to do well. And I'm just kind of curious, like what was your experience volunteering there? Yeah, I would say that was definitely my experience. Um, you know, the women there were uh, obviously had a lot of time on their hands. And, uh, you know, I think the program was a, a really good one. Uh, a lot of these women had grown up in communities that did not have strong investment in educational systems. And so many of them did not have a high school degree. Um, and so in that sense, I think the program was really important. Um uh, I, I will say it's kind of hard if you are volunteering in a, a correctional setting to uh, not run into the sort of proselytizing mm-hmm. <laughs> aspect of it. Many, many people will volunteer in a correctional setting um, out of religious convictions. And I absolutely mm-hmm. applaud them for that. But there is definitely um, oftentimes efforts to kind of um, proselytize and, and from my perspective, kind of speak down to folks who are in mm-hmm. correctional facilities. And, you know, that's not really that that's not your job as a volunteer. Your job is to support folks. And, you know, you don't ask them personal questions. You don't um, invade their privacy. You know, they, they already have had their privacy massively invaded. You know, you are there to support them in what they're trying to accomplish. And so I, I would absolutely advocate uh, volunteering in, in correctional settings. It's um, it's not something that many people want to do uh, for lots of reasons. You know, one of them being people have concerns about safety. It's also if you go into a correctional facility, it's an invasion of your privacy. You know, if you wear a bra that has an underwire, then you typically have to go through a pat down. It's very, <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's a different environment, but it is definitely one that will challenge your preconceptions about the criminal legal system in a positive way. So I highly recommend it. You Did you do your undergrad in New Jersey? Um, I actually went to school uh, in North Carolina. So oh, okay. I got my undergraduate, undergraduate degree in public policy at um, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Oh, okay. How did you end up there from New Jersey? Yeah. Uh, I had family down there. So um, it made sense for me to move somewhere that was closer. Um, you know, uh, my my mom and I had been up in New Jersey for uh, about 15 years, uh, just completely away from the rest of our family. So it's nice to to get a little bit closer and um, be able to go there for the holidays and, you know, not have to do a eight or nine hour drive back up to Jersey every uh-huh. Christmas. And was what was like your actual major? Was it like what was it actually like labeled as? I think it was labeled as like public policy analysis. Uh, Public policy is a fairly new uh, field. Um, You know, it's not something that used to be taught at universities. It's um, I heard this phrase somewhere that, you know, the English language lures other languages into alleyways, beats them up and steals their words. Uh, I think that's an accurate way to describe public policy as a field. Uh, It's really just a mishmash of other fields of inquiry. So I, I would I think it's best described as a mix of economics, political science, um, some uh, history and sociology uh, mixed in there. Uh, it's 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 a very interesting um, field to, to to study because it's very much focused on that kind of public service oriented. Well, what are you going to go do with this, you know, economic analysis, or what is this sociological 
study going to accomplish? Um, so I, I, I liked it a lot for that. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, cause I heard recently someone else say they're like a public policy thing. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't necessarily know what that is. Like, it sounds like it could be anything. No one really right? does. <laughs> <laughs> like public, it's like everything has a policy in public, right? It seems like it could be anything. Yeah, no, for sure. It, it definitely overlaps pretty heavily with some other fields. Okay. When you were an undergrad, were you involved in like other extracurriculars or like research or any sort of things like outside of classwork? Yeah, I was not super involved in extracurriculars. Um, the problem I ran up against is that uh, my undergraduate institution did not have a degree in criminology or criminal justice. Some of that work was being done at the School of Government at the graduate level, but they did not have an undergraduate program. And so uh, what I ended up having to do was kind of go out on my own and find internships and volunteer opportunities that were relevant to the field I wanted to go into. Um, and so my resume is just a scary mishmash of <laughs> positions I was able to kind of cobble together. You know, I would cold email agencies and say, hey, you know, I think the work you're doing is really interesting. I would love to intern with you. You know, would you consider taking someone on? Um, and so that's how I ended up working with the North Carolina Sentencing and Policy Advisory Commission and I ended up doing a program where I got to spend a semester in DC and I interned with the uh, National Criminal Justice Association. I kind of um, had to, to go out and, and find those opportunities, but that's partly why I'm so excited about being in an actual crime department <laughs> where mm -hmm. I don't need to um, quite so strongly advocate for myself and kind of go forth and find things. Yeah, very, very nice. So wh where did you did your internship? What was like the name of that? Um, the, one of them was with the Sentencing and Policy Advisory Commission in North Carolina. It's a legislatively created um, organization that is basically tasked with um, doing court research. Uh, there's something called structured sentencing in the state of North Carolina. And so what they do is they kind of take a look at those statistics and compile an annual report. But they also um they can also do reports on kind of ad hoc topics that commission members are interested in. So while I was there, one of the commission members um, who I think represented the community, actually, um, he brought up the topic of collateral consequences um, for employment and licensing in the state of North Carolina. And so they went and did a, a study on that where they kind of gathered information. They did interviews and they presented a report about kind of the state of collateral consequences for employment and licensing. So things like um, certain licensing restrictions for folks who have uh, criminal records, some of which really don't make sense. You know, like they might have a, a, a requirement that you can't become a licensed barber if you have a misdemeanor on your record. Any misdemeanor, doesn't matter what it is. Oh. Hmm. Um, yeah. That kind of a thing. That's a collateral consequence. It's not something that the judge says, you know, you can't in five years from now go and become a barber. It's not part of the official sentence, um, but it's something that is nonetheless um, a consequence of having a criminal record. Okay. And all, a lot of that stuff is all like state by state though, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's laws that, you know, lawmakers put on the books, but it's also something called administrative code. So the administrative code is, is rules um, that get made by state agencies. Um, you know, uh, it can also be uh, licensing bodies, for example, if there's like a, 
a formal licensing process that you have to go through to become a cosmetologist or a barber, uh, they can make rules about you know, what the criteria are for getting that license. And sometimes they do so in a way that is uh, purposefully restrictive. Mm-hmm. That's so weird. It's, yeah, especially when you get stuff to like that, or like barber, like who cares <laughs> at that yeah. point? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, some of these rules make sense. You know, there are yeah. really tight restrictions on, um, you know, certain kinds of uh, drug offenses if you are working in a medical setting. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. But I some can of see them that, but like... are a little, or, or, you know, if you're, if you're working where you're interacting with kids, very mm-hmm. tight restrictions on your background in terms of violent offenses for good reason. Yeah. Um, but you know, some of them are, are kind of absurd and, you know, are, are unnecessarily narrowing the career options that someone with a record might have. And having a criminal record is very common. It is far more common than people think. Uh, you know, I think all of us can say, that we have committed a crime at some point that we could have gotten a record for. Uh, and uh, some of us have, and some of us have not. So. Yeah. Okay. So it's like the stuff that you're doing now primarily focused on like a specific state or anything like that, or you can, is like your current work more like broader, like national tendencies or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, in my experience, crim research tends to be, um, you know, uh, not necessarily locally focused. So um, the the faculty in our department are doing research projects all over the, the country and, and really the world. Um, you know, we have a, a cybercrime expert in the department who does quite a lot of work with um, some research centers in the UK and Australia, uh, just because that is where a lot of the research on cybercrime and technology facilitated abuse is happening. Uh, you know, I... Being a, a small town girl, I'm always looking for opportunities to work with local agencies. And so I'm, I'm excited about this project um, on domestic violence restraining orders uh, because it is looking at um, some some areas of Michigan and the way that those get handled locally. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it can really vary drastically. Sometimes it's just, you know, if you have a partnership with someone at the University of Texas, then you might be working with Texas agencies. Kind of depends. Okay. Very interesting. So then how did you end up at MSU? Yeah. Um, I had been planning to go back to school um, for the record before the pandemic, although it coincided <laughs> with my application process. <laughs> um, and so I was looking at kind of schools all over the place. There are um, unsurprisingly not that many schools that have a, a really strong crim uh, doctorate program, it's a pretty specialized field. And so, um, you know, there's maybe a dozen pretty, pretty decent schools out there. Um, and, uh, while I was going through my application process, um, my family relocated to Illinois. And so I, uh, (laughs) decided to focus my search, uh, in the Midwest, um, and landed on MSU as, as being a really good option for me. I wanted to be somewhere that had, uh, you know, a well-developed, well-funded crime department um, so that I wasn't having to go outside of the department and, you know, scrounge for internships and, and opportunities. I wanted to feel like it was centralized and available. Um, but I also wanted to go somewhere that felt like it was livable for me. You know, it's a, it's a five-year commitment. It's a long time. And um, so I, I wanted to be somewhere that felt like it was comfortable, um, at least most times in the year. <laughs> 
the whole winter is coming uh, mindset of folks here is a little scary, but <laughs> um, I'm sure I'll survive. <laughs> is it, but isn't, I guess, I'll be honest, I know nothing about New Jersey, but isn't it like also cold during the winter? I just think of New Jersey as like a suburb of either like New York City or maybe like Philadelphia. And both of those are known for winter. <laughs> Yeah, no, we, we, we have winters in, uh, in Jersey, but, um, you know, we're, we're not getting like, uh, so much snowfall that the windows are obscured, you know, like it's, it's, it's not that intense. <laughs> I think you're probably fine. <laughs> <laughs> I say as someone who hates winter, but uh, the times I've been here, it's just been like, it's cold and gray the entire time. I haven't, it was like, Oh, insane amounts of snowfall. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm hoping so because I can't get to campus without the bus in the winter. So, <laughs> you know, if 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 driving is not a thing, then um, I can't make it to class. <laughs> yeah. So, how has like your first semester been so far? Like, can't adjusting to that. Yeah, it's an adjustment. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it might be a little different for me because um, I spent a couple of years working um, after my undergrad degree. So I didn't go straight through. I worked as a research analyst for three years. Um, and so I was, I was very kind of acclimated to the nine to five life. <laughs> and so the, it's, it's an adjustment. I think um, I definitely hit that moment around midterms this semester of being like, why did I think this was a good idea again? There's a lot of papers flying around, but um, yeah, I think, I think I'm definitely getting back into the swing of things um, for sure. Okay. Well, that's, I'm glad to hear that. Is it, how is, how is sort of like the program structure, like in physics, like generally we take classes for like those first two or three years and then we do like research for the latter bit. So like once you get past classes, it goes back to like that nine to for me, it went back to that nine to five. I, I, I guess I shouldn't speak on behalf of other physics students. Cause I know that's not necessarily the case, but like, is it, is like your program sort of like structured similarly? Yeah, it's definitely similar. Um, my understanding, and I'll just preface this with, I, I, you know, I still don't quite understand the, you know, succession of things, but I think what happens is, um, you know, you have that first year or two of classes. Um, most people will have a graduate assistantship at the same time. So we're taking, you know, two or three classes and we're also um, supporting faculty research um, in some way um, as kind of a, a part-time gig. Uh, and then when you reach the point of classes being over, you have comps, of course. Um, and in my department, what that means is that we basically have to write two qualifying papers uh, one of them focused on theory and one of them focused on methods. And um, the idea is that, you know, if you um, put the time in, those could be publishable journal manuscripts. Um, the idea is that you're doing something that, you know, you can put your name to and, and publish. Um, and then once your qualifying paper process is over, then you move through to kind of the dissertation stage, uh, which I get the sense is, is very unstructured, <laughs> I think. Essentially, you know, you're not taking any classes, you're working on your dissertation close to full time. Um, you probably still have a, a graduate assistantship of some kind or you're supporting faculty. Um, I think a lot of people's dissertations actually grow out of their work with faculty. Um, you know, faculty might have access to a really rich source of data that you can then do some additional analyses on for a dissertation. Um, 
So it, it, it kind of varies in that sense. I don't get the sense that very many people do primary data collection for their dissertations. Um, I might try to make a go of it. We'll see. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's that's my understanding. And then by the time you reach that fourth year and you have one year left, um, it sounds like a lot of people kind of shift their focus to um, jobs, uh, you know, uh, jobs in, in academia and criminology. Um, you know, they tend to recruit people in the fall to start the following summer. It is, mm-hmm. it's a really a very long process. Know, yeah. Front loaded. Yeah. I don't know why they do it so early, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think for me, it'll be different because I, I'm likely not going to apply for um, academic positions. We'll see, but um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking of venturing out into the, of the private sector. So. Oh, okay. Very cool. Very cool. Do you have yeah. like any interest or hobbies like outside of like school and research that you like, how do you entertain yourself outside of school? <laughs> Or work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely need to, to keep staying and have hobbies for sure. Um, I got into houseplants over the pandemic, like me and like 8 million other people. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, it's like a yeah. greenhouse in my apartment. <laughs> it's it's great uh, until you get like fungus gnats or <laughs> your, um, spider mites. Uh, I feel like I've had them all at this point. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I've, I've got a good collection of houseplants. Um, I just recently figured out that you're not supposed to water them the same way you do in the summer as in the winter. So, um, oh, are not very happy right now. <laughs> um, they're, they're, they're a little soggy, but, um, I think they'll perk back up again. Uh, yeah. So I got my house plants. Um, I like to think of them as, as, uh, pets. They're like, um, <laughs> they're like toddlers, you know, uh, they, they, they have fits and they can't tell you what's wrong. Um, <laughs> entertaining for sure. Um, I do a lot of cooking. Uh, I just feel like if I have to live in my apartment five days a week and just work on term papers all the time, then there should be some perks to that lifestyle. So I do some kind of elaborate cooking um, to entertain myself. Um, Yeah. And then I I, I like going out and um, there's some really nice trails around here. So um, I've got some skates and a a bike. And um, if the weather's nice, it was gorgeous yesterday. Um, then I like to go out and, and go for a walk or a, a bike ride just to get some fresh air. Very nice. Have you, um, this could just be a, a me thing, but I am terrible at cooking. And so I frequently have, you know, like fires or, you know, other, <laughs> other ter- terrible, you know, accidents that happen inside my kitchen. Is it like when you cook, is it much more calm and just a relaxing atmosphere? <laughs> It depends. I feel like you can't call yourself a real cook if you haven't set something on fire at some point. <laughs> Thank you. I've definitely done it a couple of times. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I'm a recipe cook. So I, I don't know if I qualify as a real cook because I feel like, you know, real cooks can just like go to the grocery store, grab some stuff and like ad hoc throw something together. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I make a list, you know, I buy stuff by recipe and then I just cook by recipe. Oh. Uh, you know, I feel like the biggest barrier was just getting all the like equipment, you know, box graders are surprisingly handy to have, um, <laughs> you know, it's good to have a sieve sitting around somewhere, but um, no, it's, it's a mess. I have to clean my kitchen on a weekly basis. because, <laughs> Yeah. It gets pretty messy. Even recipes like stress me out because like if, as soon as it's like oh while well, this thing is simmering do this other thing and i'm like nope that, that I, I can focus on one one task at a time 
No, I know. I know you like you, you're staring at a recipe for like 10 minutes and then you walk away and immediately it's like, wait, what am I, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> what did it say? Yeah. It's, it's a panic. It's a panic. It's a panic <laughs> in my kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's pretty cool. It's supposed to be stressful. Oh, I'm very stressed. <laughs> <laughs> so like, what's the, what's like your favorite thing that you have made or like your, your, your dish that you are most proud of or like impressed by? Oh, I, I don't really make the same recipes twice. Um, I do different recipes every week, but like, I am one of those people who just like, I want to just eat out of a bowl, you know? So like Mm -hmm. I make a lot of curries and soups and stews. I don't want to have to mess around with different elements and, you know, getting a bunch of pots and pans dirty. So like, I think curry is probably my go-to, like I need to eat for a week, but I don't really have time to (laughs) make something every night. So I'm just going to cook a crap ton of rice and make a really, really big curry. (laughs) Just eat off of that for a week. The thing about curry is it gets better with time. It's like wine, you know, because the more it sits, the more the flavors kind of infuse. Um, so I always think curry tastes better like a week later. <laughs> it's probably not the best strategy, but um, I made a really good chicken tikka masala the other week. Um, that was uh, like really like from scratch, took some effort to do, but I've been eating it for a week and it's like still solid. So very nice. Um, I ate canned peaches right out of the can. So like, I I think we're on the same level. (laughs) No, no. I mean, like, you know, you've got to have those easy staples. Like I've got a whole pack of ramen noodles and like, they, they go probably pretty fast. So grad life. It's fun. Um, so sort of to like wrap things up a little bit, um, I like to ask people, like, do you have any advice or tips of wisdom that you would give people either thinking about applying to grad school or like kind of adjusting to their first year of grad school? Yeah. Yeah. Grad school, people say grad school is different. And I, I think that they're right. Um, you know, I, I think when you're an undergrad, it's kind of easy to just go on cruise control um, because everyone around you is kind of doing the same thing. And if they're studying different topics, grad school is a whole different animal. You know, my advice to someone who's thinking about applying to grad school would be um, do some thinking about what your career goals are, you know, Um, because when you get into a program, that program might be designed to pump out people who go into academia. It probably will be. Um, that's what a lot of these programs are designed to do. And if that's not your goal, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get something out of that program, that it isn't going to give you the skills you want. Um, it just means that going in with a good idea or some idea about where you might want to find yourself in five or 10 years is really helpful because it makes it easier to navigate that program. So we have professional development seminars in the CRIM department. And, you know, unsurprisingly, lots of them are really focused on how do you do an academic job talk and how do you put applications in for a faculty position? And those are maybe not so helpful for someone like myself. Um, But just knowing that and, and not feeling like I have to, you know, shove myself through a slot that is not necessarily where I want to be is making it a little bit easier to navigate this program. Uh, you know, at, at that point, when you're applying for grad programs, you may not know what you want to do. 
Um, you know, lots of people are still really early um, on in their careers, or, you know, maybe they haven't um, had some time off of school and they're going straight through, but just putting that thought in and kind of taking ownership over your own career arc is really important, I find, at the graduate level, because, you know, faculty are busy with their research. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a lot of this is going to be you driving yourself forward um, based on your own goals. So it's really important to start thinking about those. Awesome. Awesome. That's great advice. Thank you for coming on and doing this. It was a lot of fun talking with you. Yeah, absolutely. Any excuse to talk to another human is a good one in my book. <laughs> Love it. <laughs>